Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. If you read at the top of the psalm there in your Bibles, if you have a smartphone app, it may, it may not. But before verse number one, it says that this psalm was written by Asaph. Asaph may not be a name that you are familiar with. When we read the book of Psalms, when you think about the Psalms, you probably think about David. He was known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. But Asaph was a man who wrote a psalm himself. In fact, not only did he write psalms, he was appointed by David. He was a contemporary of King David. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 4 says, And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel, Asaph, the chief. And next to him, Zechariah, Jael, Shemeramoth, Jael, Metahiah and Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jael with psalteries and with harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Asaph was the timpani player. He was the cymbals guy of the orchestra there in David's day. We see that he was a Levite. He was the chief musician there. And he wrote a number of psalms. He wrote this psalm. And actually, if you read through the Psalms, you actually find that he wrote the next 10 Psalms. Not just this one, but 74, all the way through 83. He wrote a number of Psalms. David, of course, was the sweet psalmist of Israel. But not only that, not only did he write Psalms, he knew other people who wrote Psalms. He knew other people who were spiritual and musical just like himself. I think that's one of the reasons why David was so successful. He was with the Lord. He had the presence of the Lord. He had the work uh, coming through him, but also he surrounded himself with other godly people. Jonathan, and here Asaph, he surrounded himself with this man Asaph. He was a godly man because God used him to write scripture. He used his pen To write the very precious word of God. He was a godly man. Other people must have known that he was a godly man. For he was appointed to be the chief musician there. Appointed by David. But here in this psalm, we see a confession. We see him describing something that he's struggling with. Spiritual people, sometimes they struggle with things. Sometimes they have thoughts that they wonder about things. Sometimes they struggle with doubt and and different things. Here he is writing down the struggle that he has. And the struggle that he has is that he's looking at those that are wicked. He's a Levite. He's been appointed by King David. He's there working the ministry, if you will. And he looks out at his nation, and maybe other nations as well, and he he sees the ungodly. He sees those that don't care about God. They don't prioritize God. They don't even think about God. 
They just do what they want to do. They care only for themselves. They live for themselves. And he looks at them, those that have clearly rejected the Lord, those that have rejected God, and he sees that it seems to be going well with them. He sees their prosperity. If you see in verse 3, it says, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He looked at the lives of some ungodly people and he, he said, hey, they're prospering. They're being successful. Verse 7 says, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They have things that Asaph didn't even dream about having. And he saw what they had. and They had more than heart could wish. Verse 12 says, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world, they increase in riches. They are growing in wealth. They are becoming wealthier and wealthier, even though they continue to live ungodly lives and reject the word of the Lord and reject the things of God, and they seem to be doing well. And he's struggling with this. He's thinking, I love the Lord, and I'm surrounded by people who also love the Lord, and I know that this is the right thing to do, and I see those ungodly people, and they seem to be doing well. They're prospering, they're wealthy, they have more possessions than I could ever dream of having. He also sees their peace. In verse number 4 it says, For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. It seems like they don't struggle with some of the things that I'm struggling with. Maybe it's because of their finances. They can afford the best doctors for their health. They can afford the best financial advisors to promote, you know, building their wealth. And whatever it is that they want and need, uh, it seems like they're fulfilled with those things. And they don't have any trouble. They have a lot of peace, it seems, in their life. And, and Asaph is clearly struggling in his heart with this. And And it's not clear, but I imagine that he was struggling with some other things. It seems that he was going through some trials and had some trouble, and and he's looking at his own life, and then he's looking at the life of the ungodly, and they're prospering, and they're peaceful. They don't seem to have the kind of trouble and trial and anguish that he's going through. And he also sees their pride. When the ungodly were living this way and they were prospering and they were peaceful, it promoted in them pride. They became proud of their life. They became proud of the priorities in their life, in their heart, about how they prioritize themselves or their wealth or whatever the case might be above God. Verse number 6 says, Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. You could not see them without noticing the pride that they had for themselves, for their wealth, for their prosperity, for their lifestyle. Verse number 8 though says that they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Those things that they should be ashamed of, they were proudly proclaiming to others. Verse number 9 says, They even set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. They're even openly speaking against God. Verse 11 says, And they say, 
How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? They're mocking God now, openly. And Asaph sees this. He sees how they live. And he sees their prosperity and their peace and how proud they are. And he's a little troubled by this. He doesn't know what he's supposed to think of this. He sees these things and verse 13, he has a confession of the thought that came into his heart. He said, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. He says, Why am I bothering with confessing my sins? Why am I bothering with what God's word says about what is right and wrong and repenting before the Lord? He feels like, Man, why, why am I doing this? Why do I have to feel bad for the sins that I commit? They're openly sinning, and they're prospering, and they're peaceful. Verse 14 says, For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Every day I sin, just like every other person. And every day God chastens me and says, That was a sin, and you shouldn't do that. And he's chastened every morning, and he thinks... Why do I have to live like this when they get to live like that? But in verse 15, here's where the real struggle begins. Which is, if I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. The thought going through his head was, I'm seeing the wicked people of the world who care nothing about God, and they're wealthy, they're prosperous, they're peaceful, they're proud. They seem to be doing well. Me, on the other hand, I'm trying to live for the Lord, and I'm repenting of my sins, and I don't have their prosperity. I don't seem to have their peace. I I can't be proud of the things that I have or the things that I've done. But then he thinks... If I were to say such a thing, it would affect other people. I know what the right thing is to do. And I'm tempted by going to the other side to join in with the prosperity and to join in with the peace that they have. And he could not reconcile this spectacular prosperity of the wicked with the spiritual poverty of those same people. He sees the wickedness of their lives, and he sees the wealth of their money, and he thinks those two things should not be together. And he's struggling with this. And he's thinking, maybe I'm on the wrong side. Maybe I'm in the wrong place. I see that they're doing so well, They seem to be successful. Maybe I should be over there. But verse number 17 is when his perspective changes. Verse 17 says, until. He thought this way. He had these thoughts in his heart. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. 
This word sanctuary has the idea of being a holy place until I went into the holy place of God. Last week we looked at that high and holy place where God dwells. And he said, I thought that way. I was thinking about how maybe this being involved in the ministry that David had appointed me to, maybe this was a mistake and I should just abandon that and and go over to the other side to gain some wealth. Until I went to the sanctuary of God. Until I drew close to God. Until I drew nearer to the Lord. Then understood I their end. Then he began to realize the game's not over yet. The game hasn't ended We're not yet in the fourth quarter where double zeros are there on the screen. It's not over yet. It may look like they're leading. It may look like they're winning. But God has told me their end. God has told me who wins. Verse number 18 says, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? He said, I thought about how these wicked people were wealthy and prosperous and I was envious of them. I wanted what they had. I wanted how to live how they lived. But now I don't think that way anymore. I'm not envious of the way that they live. I'm not envious of the prosperity that they have. Because I understood their end. And he saw the pleasures and the parties and the prosperity of the ungodly. and He saw all of those things. But when he went into the sanctuary of God, when he went into the holy place of God, when he went near to God, he began to see clearly. He began to have his vision to be cleared. He was able to see that while, yes, the wicked were currently living in pleasures and prosperity, he was also able to see that the platform that they were building their lives upon was weak and unstable and would never last. It's as if they were on the Titanic, while the ship is sinking. They felt something, and they knew that the ship is going down, and so many people are gathering and getting into the lifeboat, and it's as if Asaph is one of those early ones who has gotten into a lifeboat. He knows the ship is sinking. This is not the place where I should be. Gets into a lifeboat, they lower the lifeboat, and they begin rowing away. And while he's there out on the seas... It's cold. It's in the early morning. It's the Atlantic Ocean. The wind is whipping through. He's cold. It's a lifeboat. It's not built for comfort. There are no easy chairs or padded cushions. It's just a cold, hard piece of wood that he's sitting on. He's uncomfortable. And he's sitting there with nothing. He had to leave it all behind. And he's sitting there in the lifeboat, and they're rowing away. And he looks up. And in that top part of the ship, he sees the glass windows and 
in the glass windows, he sees that the party is still going on. There are people all dressed to the nines, and they're partying, and they're drinking, and they're eating, and they're enjoying, and they're having fun, and and Asaph, it's almost as if Asaph is in that lifeboat, perhaps regretting getting into the lifeboat. He's seeing those people having fun and enjoying themselves, and it's almost as if he's thinking, why am I here? They're having so much fun. Look at all of the people around me in this lifeboat. They're all just huddled and, and looking down and almost sad even, and he's and he's looking around at himself and others who are in his situation and looking at them. And, and it's almost as if he's thinking, I wish I were there instead of here. Until he looked down and he saw, oh, they're partying right now, but their ship is still sinking. And I'd rather be here than over there. I'd rather be in a life-giving lifeboat than in a sinking ship. It doesn't matter how glamorous the ship is. It doesn't matter how tasty the food is. It doesn't matter how enjoyable it is. It doesn't matter who is over there. If the, sink, if the ship is sinking, I don't want to be there. I want to be here. And they should want to be here. And it's almost as if he's thinking, what a silly thought for me to have. Being in a lifeboat regretting being there and wanting to be back on the Titanic. What a silly thought. And that's what Asaph is going through. He thought about how silly he was to be envious of the wicked. No matter their prosperity, no matter their peace. Verse 21 says, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant I was as a beast before thee. He's saying, I wasn't even thinking like a human being. I was thinking on such a low level. Wow, I was, I was foolish. So foolish was I. Maybe you're there today too. You see the prosperity of the wicked. You see the wealth of the world. And you look around you and you see how people are buying these big fancy homes and you see how people are driving around in these fancy luxury cars and you see how people are traveling off to all over the world and getting to experience so many things and eating wonderful food and and getting to experience all that the world has to offer and you see those people who care nothing about God and they seem to be greatly enjoying themselves and Perhaps you're in the same place as Asaph. What am I doing here? Why am I still being faithful to God when they are wealthy and I am not? Perhaps you're thinking, why am I spending so much time in the house of God and being around other believers and attending services and giving up a weekend and a Saturday morning and a Wednesday night and And you see their prosperity. You see all that they have. If you're beginning to think like that, it's because you don't have clear vision. It's because you're not seeing things correctly. You're only seeing a small part. And we need to have clear vision. And clear vision comes... When we go into the sanctuary of God. 
When we go to the holy place of God, when we draw near to the Lord. Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 8 says, For if these things be in you, he's talking about adding uh, elements to our Christian lives, growing closer to the Lord, if you will. For if, you add, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. What is Peter saying here? He is saying, if you do not draw close to the Lord, you will become spiritually blind, meaning you cannot see clearly. You will not be able to see things afar off. And you will even forget that your sins were purged. You will forget about the life-giving life boat that you are in and wish that you were back on the Titanic. How many of you this morning, you wear glasses or you have contacts? Raise your hand. So I know all of you who are like me, okay? A lot of us are either wearing glasses or contacts. How many of you have ever lost your glasses? How many of you have ever lost your glasses, okay? You've lost your glasses and uh, you can't find your glasses because you don't have your glasses. If you had your glasses, you could find your glasses. But if you don't have your glasses, you can't find your glasses. So you're in this perpetual, ending, never-ending, I'm never going to find my glasses until somebody finds them for me. But I remember when I was growing up, you know, obviously I didn't have glasses, and then Nintendo came along. And then I started needing glasses after sitting in front of that screen for so many hours. And I remember walking in, And I don't remember the first time I got glasses, but I do remember the next time I needed new prescriptions. I remember walking in, they did the whole thing, they stick that thing in front of your face, and they say one, two, one, or two, and they do this whole thing, and then you get new glasses. And I remember putting on my glasses, and walking out of the the room, and looking around, and being able to read signs that I wasn't able to read when I walked in. And the thought that went through my mind was, is everybody else able to read these signs? Was everybody able to see all of these things that I wasn't able to see? And I remember thinking, wow, this is what everybody else is living like. This is what it means to have clear vision. And now... I haven't had a new prescriptions in a long time. But I remember whenever my sight would get a little bit blurry, things that I used to be able to read clearly that I couldn't read anymore, or it seemed as I was driving to take a little bit longer to read things, I began to realize, oh, I don't have clear vision anymore. I need to get new glasses because I want clear vision. And if we don't draw near to God, then it's as if your spiritual eyesight is getting worse and worse and worse. And you know what happens when your eyesight gets worse and worse and worse? You don't look at the things far away. You only look at the things that are close to you. You only look at the things that are right in front of your face. 
You look at the things that are right around because you can't see clearly those things. I can't see what that is. I can't see who that person is. So there's no point in me looking over there. I'm going to look at the people right in front of me. I'm going to read the things that are right in front of me. I'm going to focus on the things that are right around me because my vision is not clear enough to be able to make out what is far away. So I only look at those things that I can see clearly and those are the things that are right in front of me. And for a spiritual person to have unclear vision means they are not able to see things far away. They can only see things up close. The things that are right in front of their face. The things that they can see right immediately around them. And if you do not have clear vision, it means you cannot see the far off eternal things. You cannot see the far off heavenly things. You only can see the things that are right around you, the temporary earthly things. That's why believers get so caught up in building wealth instead of building wealth in heaven because they have poor spiritual vision and they cannot see the heavenly things. So they only see the things that are right in front of them and they sacrifice heavenly uh, wealth in order to build earthly wealth. They sacrifice the things of God because they cannot see those things that are far off. And they would rather sacrifice the spiritual things that are far off Because they cannot see them. So they sacrifice those things in order to build temporary wealth. Wealth that on this earth will disappear and will die with you. The experiences that you have and build and enjoy, they will die with you. But when you have clear vision, you will be able to see the heavenly things and lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven as opposed to earth. But if we want that clear vision, we need to draw closer to the Lord. We need to get nearer to God. And if you find yourself being drawn to the things of this world, if you find yourself being sacrificial of the things of God in order to build up your personal wealth, in order to build up earthly, temporary things, perhaps you're in the same situation as Asaph. Perhaps you need to go to God and get clear vision again. How do I know, though, if I have clear vision? How do I know if I'm seeing things clearly? How do I know if everybody else is seeing things clearly while I'm not? How do I know if my vision is the same as other people's vision? I can't see how clearly you see things. I have no idea. I can only see what I see. How do I know if I have clear vision? I need to go to the optometrist who will help me to see whether I have clear vision. And in looking at the rest of this chapter, once Asaph has again clear vision, we will see four products of clear vision in the life of a Christian. If you are missing these elements, it means you need to draw nearer to the Lord. Number one, clear vision produces thanksgiving. Verse number one says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. He begins here at the beginning, and he says, I am so thankful that God is good. 
I am so thankful that God has been gracious to me, that God has been good to Israel. God has delivered them out of the nation of Egypt. God has blessed them with the land that is not theirs. God has blessed them with the godly leader in King David. God has given them peace from the nations all around. And when it was uh, unclear and his vision wasn't clear and it was all fuzzy, he could only see the wicked being prosperous. But when he got clear vision again, he began to be thankful for what he did have. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And while some people may be envious of those that are wicked and wealthy, I'm so thankful that I'm not on that Titanic anymore. I'm so glad that God has given me a lifeboat named Jesus to get me off a sinking ship that will take me to eternal destruction. God has given to me eternal life. And if I forget that, if I'm not thankful for that, it means my vision is no longer clear. It means I've drawn far from God. Because truly God is good. God has been good to Israel God has been good to Bible Baptist Church. God has been good to me. And God has been good to you. In fact, God is good to everybody. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, it says, God, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. God is even good to those that are not godly. Those that hate him, he's still good to them. He still gives them the sun. He still gives them rain. He still gives them life. He still gives them opportunities. He still gives them all of these things. Shouldn't we be thankful for what we do have? It's easy for us to complain about the things we don't have. Oh, this person has a house and I don't have a house. This person has this brand new car and I don't have a brand new car. This person got a brand new phone and I don't have a brand new phone. This person got to travel here. I didn't get to travel there. And these people got to experience these things. I didn't get to experience these things. And and I have all of these things that I wish I had. It's easy for us to fall into a complaining spirit. But we need to be thankful. And clear vision produces thanksgiving. Clear vision means that I am thankful for what I do have, which is more than I deserve. Also, I see that vision produces trust. Verse number 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Verse number 26, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. When Asaph began to realize that he had lost clear vision and he drew near to the Lord and got it back again, he began to trust in him. Because he realized if God was willing to be good to me, then God is willing to be good to me for all of eternity. And if God has provided for me salvation, truly I could trust Him with my life. If God could give to me all of eternity, then truly I could give to God my short 60, 70, 80 years on earth. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
If God was willing to sacrifice His Son on the cross to give us eternal life, wouldn't He be willing to give us everything else? There is nothing more valuable that God has than His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And if He sacrificed that for us, surely would He not be willing to give everything else for us? Everything else that is necessary for us? Truly God has been good to us. Clear vision produces thanksgiving. I'm thankful that God saved me. I'm thankful that God has given to me a church. I'm thankful for what God has given me. Clear vision produces trust. I trust in the Lord. What God says, I will do. Because God's been good to me. God has given to me salvation. I can trust him. Thirdly, vision produces thirst. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. He says, now that I see clearly, the one person that I want is you, God. He says, I desire you. Who do I have in earth that I want more than you? Nobody. Who do I have in heaven besides you, God? Nobody. And he began to see clearly the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. So it's for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. He says, now I don't see so clearly, but I can't wait till I do see you clearly, Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is not the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I want not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He's saying, I really want to be with God. But I can't be with God yet because you still need me. And God still wants me to be here with you. And what clear vision produced in Asaph was a desire of God. Psalm chapter 119 says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. He says, the psalmist says, I delight in your word. When Esther and I were dating, we were really far into the digital age. We didn't live in that era where you have um, writing letters back and forth and waiting. You know, you see the movies or whatever, and you know, every day you would wait for the mailman to come. Then you'd open it and flip through. We didn't live in that era. We had text messages, unlimited free text messages. So we, we would text back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And she worked at a school. So she would work from you know, uh, 8 o'clock-ish to about 3 o'clock. So she's busy. You know, if you work in an office, you could kind of steal you know, a few text messages here and there. But if you work at a school and you're a teacher, you really don't get that much. And uh, so sometimes I would text and, and um, I would you know, wait. I'd have to wait and wait and wait. And sometimes you get a text message. And you look at it right away, and if it wasn't her, sometimes I'd be a little disappointed. I'd be like, oh, it's just dad. <laughs> you know, or, oh, it's just, you know, 
oh, it's just pastor asking me to do something. Or, oh, it's just, you know, my friend texting me. But I remember every time I heard that sound, or I felt the buzz, and I looked at the phone, and on, on the screen, it says, you have a new text message from Esther. I'd, be, I'd open it, and I'd read it, and it'd be something simple like, you know, you know, I'm at work. What are you doing? You know, something simple. Just, she's just responding to the question that I asked her, you know. But I remember every single word was precious. Because every message that she sent me was from her. And when we see clearly, every word of God is precious. Because it's from that one that we desire. Because it's from the God who has saved us. It is from the God who loves us. And we love Him when we draw close to Him. And if we find that reading our Bibles is a dread, it means that we don't have clear vision. It means that we have drawn far from the Lord. When you flip open the Word of God and it seems like a drag, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with your spiritual life. When you see that text message from your girlfriend or boyfriend or from your husband or wife and you dread seeing it and you'd rather ignore it, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. If you didn't know that, there's something wrong. But when we do it with God, we think that that's normal, there's something wrong. When we find that it's a drag to pick up our Bibles and read 20 verses in a day, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with our spiritual lives. There's something wrong with our hearts. There is something wrong with us. It's not that God has moved. It's that we have moved far from God. Are you thirsty for God's word? Do you hunger for God's word? Number four, vision produces trumpeting. Verse 28 says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. He said, now that I see clearly, I want to draw closer to you so I can share something. We live in a sharing culture. We live in an age where we do things that no previous generation had ever done before. We take pictures of things that every single person sees every single day, and yet we share them with the world thinking that people care. I had cereal for breakfast this morning. So did hundreds of millions of people across the world. But we still want to share it. We want to share it with people. This is what I ate. This is where I went. This is the traffic that I'm sitting through that the other 10 million people in the Los Angeles area are experiencing at exactly the same moment, somehow we still want to share that with people. But we don't want to share God. We don't want to share eternal life. We don't want to share the works of God. Mark chapter 12, verse 11 says, This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. When God works, He works marvelous things. But we don't want to share that. Maybe it's because God hasn't been doing anything marvelous in our lives. 
Maybe we've drawn so far from God that God isn't working in us anymore. Not that God couldn't work in us anymore, but we've drawn so far away from God, we've fallen into sin so deeply, God is saying, you need to come. You need to be cleansed. I want to work in you. I want to work through you. I want to work around you. But I can't. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. When you see marvelous things, you want to share them. When you see amazing things, you want to share them. Sharing now is so easy, as I said before. Unamazing things are now being shared. The most simple, basic things are now being shared. If we have nothing to share with the world, perhaps it's because... God hasn't been doing anything. It's not because God doesn't want to do anything. It's because we've drawn far from God. So how's your vision? Do you see the world clearly? Do you see yourself clearly? Do you see the wicked clearly? If you see clearly, you'd be thankful. You'd have a thankful spirit. You would trust in the Lord. You would thirst after God and after His Word. And you want to share with the world something that God has done for you. Do you see clearly today? If not, you need to draw near to God. If not, you need to get back into His Word. You need to get back into prayer. You need to draw near to the Lord this morning.